The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Pop Insider. The Pop Insider has all the latest in news, merch reviews, and other geeky goodness. Whether you're a wizard, a Sith Lord, or a superhero, fuel your fandom at thepopinsider.com. This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. Welcome to another episode of Wookiee Radio. It is the Smugglers 3, Ken, Derek, and myself, Mike. And this week, guys, we're being joined by a great storyteller of this fine galaxy that we live in. Uh, recently, she's done Masters and Apprentice um, back in 2019. She did Leia, Prince of Alderaan, Princess of Alderaan. Uh, what a day. Um, most recently, um, the book, Star Wars, The High Republic, Into the Dark. Uh, joining us is Claudia Gray. How's everyone doing? Uh, everything's going pretty well over here. How are you guys? I'm exhausted. Um, <laughs> wor- working working at Walt Disney World. Uh, I have taken on a, a new position at work, training at a new stage. And oh, wow. I am mind fried. <laughs> There's a lot going on with it. So. <laughs> I'm really hoping now that you say that you work at Disney that it's not just a Zoom background behind you, that you've actually sneaked onto the Millennium Falcon. Uh, unfortunately, it's just a Zoom background. But <laughs> I go, he's, not, he's not worked his way into that part of the park yet. <laughs> Give it time. Give it time. Uh, I go back to visit Batu on May 9th. Yes. So. Nice. Ah, are they opening it up so you can actually go? No, I'm burning comp tickets again. We're still blacked out. A ah. uh, whole month of April, we're blacked out. Wow. So, but enough about me. Uh, I know Ken and Derek are doing pretty good. Let's uh, start off most recently with uh, Star Wars The High Republic Into the Dark. Uh, we okay. all we all got a chance to listen to the audio book. It was wonderful. Um, so I want to ask, how was the idea presented for Into the Dark? Well, you know, I mean, it came out of the High Republic storytelling kind of organically. Um, we all worked together on developing the initial plot lines and figuring out where we were going to start. Uh, each of us had pl- pitched different storylines 
And at least at this point, still, it looks like all those things are going to happen. But the best place to start was with a concept that Kevin Scott had had. But from that concept, we took it and began building onto it, building out the New Republic era, et cetera. And as we did that, certain stories naturally began to separate from that. We knew Charles would be doing the first Del Rey. We knew I'd be doing the first YA. We knew that Justina would be doing the first middle grade. So, you know, when those characters sort of you know, were coming up in the storytelling, naturally the person who knew they'd be handling them first would sort of get in there a little more and develop it. So um, it grew very naturally out of it, if, if that answers the question. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So with uh, Into the Dark, uh, what was the process like to come up with this particular story? Um, it was interesting. I mean, this is very different from anything that I've done, either in Star Wars or not in Star Wars before, because of the really tight interconnectedness of the stories um, and especially with the very, very first batch of books, we were still figuring out the timing on a few things. And, uh, between you and me, I've talked about this before, but still, uh, the event that was originally supposed to form like the big boom moment, kind of, you know, three quarters of the way to the end ended up, they're like, that needs to come later. And they're right. It was an event that needed to come later, but I was like, what is the book about now? <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I had to kind of get to work on that and both sort of working more on just thematically what it meant for the characters and getting to use the Drengear because they were not initially a part of it. It was already an Arboretum, spoilers guys, I already had them in the Arboretum station before it was the Drengear and then it was like, oh, well, thank goodness. Okay. They can hide in plain sight. I, I love that aspect uh, with the Arboretum and, and the whole station. Uh, the other thing I love, too, was the um, the question or the challenge in regards to the, the Kyber Bridge. Mm. Uh, I know that was not one of my initial questions uh, submitted to Lucasfilm, but can you talk about how you came up with that particular puzzle for Reef and, and why that particular puzzle? Because I... I, I kept questioning it just like he does throughout mm -hmm. the whole book. And then at the final, at, at the finality of the book, I'm like, okay, the, now I get it and I, I see it and it makes sense. I, I really love that, that little aspect, how that was almost a sub thread for the whole book. I'm so glad that you enjoyed that. That actually was not a first draft thing. Um, Sometimes you know something's going into a book and sometimes you have to get a lot of the way into it before you realize it's a book about something. Um, and I had really gotten very near the end before realizing like this book is one, it's a lot about grief and what it does, but it's also about um, connection, cooperation, and that both deals with what Reef is trying to do in terms of expanding as a Jedi. Uh, it has to do with, um, you know, is Orla still a part of this great effort, even though she's heading out as a way seeker? Uh, and of course, the whole question of the planets joining the, the Republic, this new part of space uh, becoming there. And so I realized you, there was a lot in there about cooperation and independence. And that was when the Kyber Bridge sort of took form. I was like, this is perfect because I also knew, I didn't know what it would be yet, but I also knew that I needed something about Jorah Mali 
that was very specific, that was unanswered. It didn't necessarily have to be a question she had asked him, but something that he was going to have to grapple with both in her absence and then, you know, after he's learned of her death. Right. And so those things very naturally came together. I'm really glad that you liked that. I, I liked it too. I, I, was, I, I, was, I did. When it came to mind. I, I did. And the first time I heard it, I'm like, okay. And, and I had so many other different answers than the one you had, was writing in. And then when you got to the actual answer, I'm like, there's that one too. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I may have touched on it. I may not. And, and some of my others, I might, you know, graze that edge. But I also like to how uh, you pitched uh, a former Padawan with Reef of the same master. And it's like, okay, this, this is pretty cool as well. Um, yeah. I got to build on the idea you know, I had it with Master and Apprentice, and they approved that. The idea that a former Padawan of a master, if that person's you know, duty and location and everything allowed, would be a pretty natural mentor for a Padawan. You know, somebody that they can go to maybe with some questions or some concerns that are a little bit intimidating to take to your master. Uh, and right. also, there, I assume, I don't know this, we haven't yet set it in stone, but... You know, that there's a process through which you figure out, like, which Jedi are going to become masters. And it's not strictly a matter of, like, this person is the best at X. Right. It's also, you know, who's actually able to teach this? Who's able to relate to different kinds of Padawans and bring that out? And this would be a really natural way to start figuring that out. You know, the the Jedi who found themselves very drawn to kind of be that kind of mentor or whatever would realize, hey, maybe this is a path I'm going to go down. Whereas the people who either weren't drawn to it or tried it and it, you know, it didn't quite take, they're going to be like, okay, maybe this part of this is, is not my destiny. But um, yeah, it was great to be able to visit that again with Des and show it in something of a less fraught um, situation than it was with um, uh, Dooku and Rail and Qui-Gon. Right. I, I saw with Des a lot of Qui-Gon. Aspects mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, now, how much of the pandemic did that slow things down on your end, or did it end up kind of being a blessing and allow you more time to create more content for the book? Um, both. Um, I mean, we were done basically with the first wave of things, but then everything hit, and you know, there was literally a period of time where you couldn't produce a paper book. It wasn't that long, but it was the time we were supposed to begin producing. Uh, and, you know, I, at first I think they were very much hoping to sort of wait until we could go out and be doing events in person. And then that sort of became clear that wasn't going to be the case, but, um, you know, we did go ahead and take advantage of, nobody told me to, but I went back and was like, listen, let me do another polish on the book. As long as we've got, you know, four extra months now, I may as well do this. And, you know, obviously I'm grateful for that. Uh, Writing Star Wars is a lot of fun, but the deadlines are not for the timid of heart. (laughs) They are fast. So having a little extra time to just sort of get in there and polish it up because the delays were already there. I'm pretty sure the others did this to some extent, too. Um, You know, I think we were grateful for it, but, you know, we were ready to go. And then it was just, you know, we all remember it was life was going along and then it was not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then 
I guess my final question in relation to the High Republic, um, and then we'll we'll delve into some of your other works as well. What's it like being part of the new lore? I mean, there's a whole uh, new territory. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've said before, and we'll probably never stop saying it. The best part of writing High Republic is the hardest part of writing High Republic, which is that you are picking up so much of the canon. Like on the one hand, you have more freedom and you can do some really different things and that's really cool. But also before there was always sort of that set foundation, you know, I could say, hey, what kind of ship would they use there? And I'd get back like art of the ship, you know, and specifics about how this thing operated and some of the best artists and designers literally in the world had been working on this stuff for 40 years. So, um, you know, I always had that to pull from and now we're here and it's like, oh, you know, we don't have the blueprints of the ship here. We have to come up with this. So, which again is a lot of fun, but it, it is complex. All right. Very cool. Well, guys, which direction do we go next with the books? Uh, could I throw uh, just uh, mainly as a comment, but one more thing on there? I do want to compliment that um, one of the one of the coolest things about um, the, this book is um, the High Republic in general focuses on the Jedi from this era, which is cool. Mm-hmm. But it seems like yeah. um, everybody everybody is focusing on the Jedi. But I think you've created some of the coolest characters in this on the non Jedi characters, the crew of the vessel. And they're so um, cool and different than anything else you're seeing in these books that it makes a great contrast to what we know as Jedi. Yeah. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. I really had a lot of fun writing The Crew of the Vessel. And it kind of surprised me because writing more Jedi-centric stuff was really one of the big draws of of The High Republic for me in the beginning. You know, my first... Um, three books, you know, Bloodline makes some references, but we weren't able to really talk about what had happened with Leia and Jedi training yet. Uh, And the others, you know, before Master and Apprentice, there really hadn't been anything. So I was like, oh, thank goodness, finally. So I was surprised to find myself really, really drawn to this crew, but I I was, and I'm glad you were too. I I love the whole geode. I'm so glad. He's he's fun. I want the action figure for him. Yeah. Really? Yes. Well, I want the Funko Pop. Yeah. One of the fun stuff I've seen, things I've seen about Geode is when you see the um, different people that are um, haven't read the book yet, but they've seen the pictures, they've seen the videos on what this Geode is, and it's just a rock. And then, yeah. then, then people finally read it and like, oh, wait a minute. It is just a rock, but you make it work so well. But you know, he's a Vintian, not a rock. It's yeah. just, as you say, it's very hard to tell the difference unless you are a Vintian or I would assume a rock. Yeah. No. Um, so, but yeah, a lot of- uh, it was fun, like as a writer, just realizing how many ways there are to express reactions and emotions and et cetera for a character that don't involve either words or gestures. You don't think there's that much. And then you get in there and start working with it and you realize, oh, there's a lot, actually. There's there's a lot there. So I guess my question is, can you since you created him, can you pronounce his real name? I have a mouth, so no, 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 no,
Force Awakens or, or not Force Awakens, uh, Last Jedi or Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, they wouldn't. I mean, I had a whole theory for Leia not having proceeded past a point with Jedi training. And to be clear, they gave me no set thing of like, oh, it's X, you know, so et cetera. But they were like, mm, don't do this. And there's certain kinds of mm, don't do this that comes back that, you know, means something else is out there. But what and when and where, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's sort of blind man's bluff for the writer. So I knew that something was there to be revealed, but I didn't know what. So I just wrote around it as much as possible without it feeling like something that was purposely omitted. Like there had to be some moments of Leia sort of thinking about it or people asking her about it. And I was able to work that in, but keep the focus very much on what she was doing there, which had way more to do with her role in the Senate and her, you know, eventually wanting to move beyond it. Well, how much of um, Leia's backstory to that point between uh, Return of the Jedi and where you're at, did they actually tell you? And how much of it did you have to figure out on your own and then figure out if they were going to let you say that? Uh, it was a mix. Um, they did not give me very much information about The Force Awakens beforehand, but they did tell me that Ben Solo was Kylo Ren and that Leia and Han, while still married, had separated. And even though they were not ready to say, like, the separation happened basically because of what happened with Kylo Ren, um, the timing of it, etc., you know, I think that's still very strongly implied without necessarily being there. And so, uh, and they said that she's serving in the Senate, uh, and they said that they wanted the big reveal that Vader was her father, and they wanted that to happen. But Bloodline's the one they gave me the most information on. You know, before I started writing Star Wars, I thought, oh, they're going to give me this huge outline point by point. And most of the books have started with sort of like a two-line prompt. Like, could you do that, et cetera. Uh, whereas with Bloodline, I got about a page and a half. And some of it talked about stuff that never has showed up in canon. I don't know if it was planned to be in canon or whether it's going to show up later. This is still as much a mystery to me <laughs> as it is to you guys. Um, but uh, it was it was very political. Like they had made it a political book. And um, I'll be totally honest. And you can swear, right, on the show? Um no, no, we try to keep it family friendly because. Uh, all right, let me be. All right, you'll know what <laughs> word is the substitution. I read this outline, and while there were some really, co it wasn't an outline. I read this premise, and while there were some really cool political things in there, my first thought was, she's got to blow stuff up. You know, it was just, I kind of felt like Leia too often. You know, kind of got the boring part of the adventures. It's like, oh, she's doing the politics and et cetera, and I was like. You know, I know she's going to be involved in politics, but was she ever sitting on the sidelines? Was she ever content with that? Because I don't remember ever seeing that on screen at all. Right. Uh, so I was like, okay, I need to give her something way more dynamic to be doing at the same time. And um, one of the things that was in that premise was Ransom Castrofo. Well, it was just called Castrofo at that point. And... In, in this iteration, as I understand it, he actually came from George Lucas, that he was originally in, I think, George Lucas's ideas for a sequel trilogy. But in the outline, he was very much just a flat out baddie. And the idea was he betrayed Leia, that he worked for her and betrayed her horribly. And he had this secret thing of you know Imperial artifacts. And I was like, 
one, I don't buy this because Leah has led not one but two, you know, illegal resistance groups for years. Like canonically, we know this. It's like if this was not a person who did not have a very advanced, you know, grasp on who to trust, she right. wouldn't have made it this far. Like she wouldn't have made it to Star Wars. You know, this this is somebody I was like, it, it's realistic to me that she would somebody as completely, you know, black hatty as this guy would get to be one of her main advisors. Uh, but they, it did say in this thing like, oh, but he raises some good points sometimes. And that's why she keeps him around. And I was like, OK, what if I take him out, you know, and I actually make him the adversary, you know, politically, but one that has a point get him involved in the adventure and that really ended up tying everything together i think so much better uh mm-hmm. and I've, I've yet to hear anybody go yeah this book had too much action in it you know it's um <laughs> uh i think that there was certainly some of the most fun action that i've ever written the hardest thing weirdly was 3po like i i i other voices had come really naturally to me and then 3po was kind of difficult because you know, in the movies, he's kind of irritating but lovable. But then when you don't have Anthony Daniels there being great, he's just kind of irritating. <laughs> so it was like, all right, I've got to shake this up so that we still get the sense, like, this is our 3PO and we care about him and throw in some exclamation points because he thinks everything he says is the most important thing that has ever been said uh, <laughs> every single time he speaks, basically. So um, that came out right in the end. But, yeah, that was definitely not a thing I thought, oh, that's going to be the hard part is 3PO. But it was. I can see that. That yeah. makes sense. Outside of um, The High Republic, uh, Into the Dark, what's been your favorite Star Wars novel to have written? Uh, you know, I've still got to go with Lost Stars, uh, I think, Mo- for a few reasons. One, I had the most time to write it. Again, the deadlines, they are rough. Um, two, the canon I was working with was almost 100% so well established. You know, I didn't have to wonder like, oh, is another TV show going to come up and do this or that? It was very much woven through the events of the original trilogy. And so I was on very firm ground there. There's one time where I had Darth Vader's, you know, flagship Star Destroyer being somewhere where it wasn't. They're like, it can't be there. And I was just like, whoa, an imaginary ship can't be somewhere. It has somewhere else to be. Uh, But that was really the only thing. It was not that big a thing to fix. Um, You know, and at the end, there was a version of the ending that took place in deep space, really. And they came back and were like, listen, if you fudge the time on this a little bit and had it crash on this planet called Jakku, we can tie it into uh, Force Awakens. I was like, that is not a problem for me at all. And, uh, I mean, I say this a lot, but it was, I think, not just the height of my experience as a Star Wars writer, but as a Star Wars fan. Like, the day, I think, or the day after that I turned in that rewrite that had the crash on Jakku, they released that second trailer that begins with Ray's speeder going across the sand. And in the background is the crash Star Destroyer and that John Williams music is playing, like, that I'm actually having chills right now telling you that <laughs> that happened years ago. But seriously, it was just like I put that there. I put that there. You know, it was really phenomenal. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, how did you get started writing actual Star Wars novels? 
Um, they emailed me kind of out of the blue. Uh, one of the editors at Lucasfilm was somebody I had known before, really through fandom, uh, and not even so much Star Wars fandom, even though we were both Star Wars fans, but, um, she knew how much I loved Star Wars and how into it I was, but I had never, even when she went to work for Lucasfilm, it never occurred to me like, oh, you know, I wonder if they'll call me now. I wonder if she'll reach out to me because one, we'd never worked together. Uh, and two, at the time, I'd only written young adult novels and Lucasfilm had never published anything that you would really consider a young adult novel in sort of the curtain, whatever. So it just did not ever, ever, ever occur to me until like the moment the email arrived. And I remember talking with my agent at the time I was reading it the first time and we legitimately thought with the deadline, we're like, Oh, they typed the wrong year. that's how tight and that was the one I had the most time to write but we were like oh they can't mean that they meant that um but again I thought they were gonna have this whole big outline for me instead they were like we want two childhood friends who have this bond but wind up on opposite sides of the war and there's this idealistic girl who joins the rebellion and this sort of angry dark guy who joins the the empire and i was like okay the idealistic girl has to be the one in the empire and the angry guys in the in the rebellion they were like okay and literally from there you know i just kind of got to build it out uh as i wanted so um i think just the the combination of things having time to write having uh, the really settled canon, uh, and you can really dig into things like, okay, what is a good person working for the for the empire thinking? What do people know? What do they hear? How is this stuff getting spun? You know, and what is it like if you're in the rebellion and you're not one of these people that like the force will be with you always? You know, if you're just like. Listen, whatever. I just know the empire sucks. Okay, that's you know, because there <laughs> be some people like that in there, and um, it was it was a lot of fun and just things like getting to build that planet Jellican and watch it sort of deteriorate from that day when it's being absorbed into the empire, you know, bit by bit by bit, you know, until by the end, the last time Santa goes there, it's you know, it's really been devastated. And so, um, you know, there's no way to sort of have the vastness of scale, I think, of what the empire is responsible for. But by showing like one place and people who are really rooted in that place and love it, like just seeing that fall apart, I feel like that was effective. I, I thought so anyway. I may not be the last authority. <laughs> Uh, you said you had been writing uh, some young adult novels prior to Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Being a fan um, of Star Wars yourself, how hard was it to go from what you were writing to writing for the Star Wars universe? Uh, it wasn't really. Um, I mean, it helped a lot that I was, you know, had spent my entire life being a big old nerd, you know, and all these people were like, did you have to study up? And it was like, oh, no, sweet summer child. <laughs> no, no. Um, you know, when I pulled out like the movies to watch them, I was writing, it was for things like, what shape are the windows on a Star Destroyer? You know, things that I just never consciously taken note of or like – 
what do the data pits really look like? Because we see them, but every time you're there, you're looking at Darth Vader or some other major character. The drama's all going up on up there, but I was like, but I have a character in the data pit. I need to watch these scenes and actually look at the data pit. Um, you know, these people just sort of moving around a little bit beneath the surface of the floor. So, um, yeah, so that, that it, it wasn't difficult to me, I didn't think. Okay. Uh, well, kind of a similar question, but a little off of Star Wars. But um, you've written all these young adult novels and all the novels and stuff. What was it like switching to a graphic novel when you did the DC book? Yeah, that. Now, that was a big change. Um Huge, yeah. House of L came out in January, and it is the first in a trilogy. And I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around the very first time I was going to try a graphic novel. DC said you should take Superman for three books. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> that is bluff getting called, you know, <laughs> totally. But uh, I'd always loved that mythos too. You know, when I was a little kid. You know, Star Wars came out in 77, the year I turned seven, and then Superman the movie came out in 78, the year I turned eight. And, you know, yeah, those, uh, you know, it just completely severs your relationship with reality in a way that is not going to be repaired. And uh, so getting to write that was great. But yeah, writing a graphic novel was dramatically different. You know, I had read up about it and I attended some classes and seminars that DC sort of had available for new writers. And I knew, you know, in my head, like you could trust the pictures to tell the story, but it is one thing to know that. And it's another thing to have your storytelling instincts begin to internalize that and work with it. I was well into the first books, first draft before I started being able to go, you know, they don't have to say that, you know, this is okay. Trust, trust the artists. They're going to be there. You know, it's a trust fall, really. You have to kind of let go. And of course, Eric Zawadzki more than caught uh, all of this. He really, really took the few visual notes that I had and built it out into something amazing. But yeah, that was much more uh, of a change and a transition. And I think it was, I'm really grateful for it, not only for now having a better handle on how to write graphic novels, but learning to think more in images and learning to boil dialogue down to its absolute minimum, which isn't necessarily where you want it to be in every single thing in a prose novel, but knowing that you can, you know, um, these are really valuable tools to have in the toolbox. Okay. Uh, I know we're getting close to the end of your time. Are you able to take maybe one or two more questions? Oh, sure. Uh, so, Ken, Derek, I'm going to leave the last two questions up to you guys since I dominated at the start of the start of the interview. Okay. You have something, Derek? Oh. Or you want to wait for a, sit? Yeah, wait for a second? Yeah. No, I actually am still curious about the, the, uh, the DC graphic novel. So did you – have to fully script that as, as a comic book script or, or how did that how did that work yes i did a full comic book script i mean first i pitched it and the pitch got you know before the end was pretty well developed you know the the outlines were you know in like the ten thousand word range you know so it was a fair bit of prose but um you know, no, I fully scripted the comics and uh, really sort of had to figure out, like, how do you do this crazy thing? And actually, that was uh, another reason to be glad that I was working on High Republic, because uh, I could call on Charles Soule and Kevin Scott and be like, 
hey, you know, how do, right. how do you handle X or what do you do Y? And, um, you know, both of those guys are really magnificent in mm-hmm. that space. And so like being able to bounce ideas off them or hear, you know, their experiences like that was invaluable, invaluable mm-hmm. having that. I mean, this we've talked about this in some interviews, but I can't stress it enough. Like the five high Republic writers, like we, we really have sort of formed like a writer's roundtable that goes significantly beyond high Republic. And, um, you know, and we're able to bounce things off about our careers. We also just know what's going on in each other's lives and are, are friends with each other. You know, I'm, I'm baked. Daniel Jose Older's birthday cake. Everybody is from all around except Daniel and I who live 10 minutes from each other. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Like we back in the four times we cold ran into each other in the diner once in a while. Ah. Just accidentally like, oh, hey. Okay. Well, uh, go ahead, Ken. keeping in this general realm real quick, um, and I fully expect you to be able to say, um, no, I can't answer that at all. Mm-hmm. But over at the other side, working with Marvel, is there any chance of us seeing you in the realm of a um, of the Marvel comics, Star Wars, doing um, Star Wars comics, I can say that nothing is done right now, but that I have expressed interest in that, and that actually, you know, usually like, are you going to work for DC or are you going to work for Marvel? You know, you normally kind of have to pick for a while, but DC had said like you're associated with Star Wars. If you want to do Star Wars stuff, that's that's cool that we're not going to raise any objections to that. So that's awesome. Yeah. uh, I really hope that's going to happen, but you know, do I'm not contracted for anything like that. I I would love to do it. So I'm hopeful and I think there's a good possibility of it, but there's, you know, there's nothing that I can, not only that I can talk about, there's not even anything I can't talk about right now. Well, we, we put it out there with Bonnie peace uh, when we had her on about, well, we, we need to get you back in the on screen as, as as Baru and, Mm -hmm. Uh, we we pitched we we pitched some sort of Tatooine based show, and now yeah. of course she's going to be in Obi Wan. I'm so excited, not least because, and this is so off the thing, but I've watched that Nixium documentary. Did you guys watch that? No, 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 I haven't. It's phenomenal, and I have to say, like of all the people involved in that, like she was the person who sort of broke out first and had to stand up for herself when like. Even like her husband and her best friends are like, you just don't understand this guy. Like she is the one who really has that presence of mind and that sense of self. You know, all of us want to think like, oh, you know, I couldn't be indoctrinated. I couldn't find myself in the middle of something like that. And I think it's a lot easier for people to get into that kind of thing than we realize. Like they're they're manipulative, they're seductive, right. these things. And the fact that she had that presence of self, like really more than anybody else that's shown in that documentary, like it really won my admiration for her as a person. And so when I saw her on that, not only was I just thrilled to see her as Baru, I was like, that is just great. Like I want to see her in all the things now. Like give me the Baru show. Well, hopefully you get a High Republic spinoff series, even if it's a six issue mini for Marvel Comics. Yeah, that would be fun. So, uh, well, thank you for joining us. It was a great pleasure and honor having you uh, come into the Smugglers Guild and just have some fun with us. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, this was a fun one. So, um, so we're going to let Claudia go and we'll be right back. 
This is my apprentice, Darth Maul. And we're back. Uh... Guys, I have I had a lot of fun with Claudia. I don't know about you guys. Great interview. Yeah. Got some great insight about her stuff. Delved delved a little bit into her DC book and how that's what scared her. <laughs> not not writing Star Wars, but delving into a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a totally different set of muscles. I mean, it's yeah. still writing, but it's uh, how much less or how much do you put in there? How much do you not put in there? You know? Right. Of course, you you gotta be. Uh, descriptive enough for your artist and, and the rest of the team so they know what direction you're wanting it to go look-wise and everything else. So, um, yeah, there's a lot there. Go ahead, Derek. Sound like you were gonna, about to say something. No. Okay. Then I must be hearing myself. <laughs> I, I still get echo every now and then or faint echo. I figured it out what it was a couple of weeks ago, what was causing it, but it was a setting on my drive. What's that? I get it too sometimes. Check your uh, on your Tascam interface. Check your uh, direct monitor. Make sure it's off. That's what it was for me, and I triggered it just wow. enough to uh, it was just loud enough. I was hearing it back, which is so weird. So, um, well, before we get into full on stories, uh, yeah. a little bit before we started, we were talking about it and we had some huge happen on Disney plus in the last week with the addition of the vintage content is right. what they're calling it. Right. So if you guys got into that at all yet, uh, Zoe, Zoe is three or four episodes into Ewoks and I'm about 10, 15 minutes into star Wars, clone wars. Are you kidding me? It took me almost two weeks just to get through the Snyder Cut. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still at the same spot from the last time we talked about it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not very far, and I'm not very motivated for it. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Well, we got – I watched The Faithful Wookiee since it's been a while since I've seen it, even though I have it on DVD, but this is a much better cut of it. (laughs) Well, um. We had talked before when everything was announced, what was missing? The Droids mm-hmm. cartoon. Well, that I think it's coming. It's already been announced. It's coming later this year. Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm wondering, we have, um, I think we've got everything that could be considered vintage for Star Wars already on there once we get droids. Are they going to add more vintage stuff after that? Or is there stuff that we don't know about that might end up on there? Would that be a cool tab to put on something like Detours? That would be the opportunity time for Detours. If everybody's used to vintage, this vintage content on here being non-canon, something like Detours would be perfect detours place for that. Detours is the perfect place for that. And if so, we will have to try and get Jen and Todd back on the show to discuss it. Yeah. Because uh, it's been a while. Um, but the, the speculation is, from what I've seen online, droids will probably come out when the canon droid story show drops. Okay. Which is supposed to be later this fall. I could see it being later maybe this year. Like, um, just a month before that or just after that comes out. I, I could see it potentially being the same, same time. As it? I don't know. Mm, yeah, I agree with Ken. I think it would either be right before. They, yeah. Or right you think, yeah. But um, do you think the marketing guys are going to look at this? If they're not fans like us, they're going to look at it as, wait, you're going to get confusion in the brand. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're not gonna be, there's also they won't be right. But <laughs> then they can either say if they put it before, they can say, oh, here's the old droids cartoon. You like that? Well, you're going to love this new stuff. <laughs> or they can say, oh, did you like this new stuff? Well, check out the old droids cartoon. You'll love that. Yeah. Yeah. Ken, I had Zoe ask me, 
after watching the first episode. She goes, so is this kind of like the Star Wars version of Gummy Bears? <laughs> I could almost see that I'm like, if she's only seen Gummy Bears back in the day. So, well, yeah. she, she has watched the Gummy Bear show. Obviously, that's still before her time, too. But she has watched it because of Disney+. Plus. I'm like, yeah, it's similar. I just forgot all about the theme songs. Like, this is not what I was expecting. Yeah. With the sh- this is not what I remember with the show. Well, what I what surprised me with the animated series there is how much it um we know that it's not part of Star Wars canon. The movies were not part of but the movies and the Ewoks cartoon are part of their own canon together because yeah. the characters that they establish in the two Ewok movies or their stories are all continued in this in the, show. In the cartoon, yeah. All the character names and everything are all the same. Right. Now talking vintage, um, we come find out Star Wars gave fans two different accounts of the Clone Wars. I mean, if you think about it, we had the Clone yeah. Wars series, which finally concluded after a decade of releases, cancellations, returns, cancellations, etc. Um, but, you know, there was the original series five years before um, Star Wars Clone Wars, which debuted and was used as a way of bridging a gap. Uh, what, six months before the movie came out? Uh, they did season one. Episode three, I believe, wasn't it? It was the season. Oh, yeah, before episode three. Uh, it was to bridge the gap between two and three. It came out six months or within the six within six months of the of the of episode three. Yeah, and season one started off with six three minute no twelve three minute episodes. Yeah, because it's almost it's just a little over an hour long. Right, and then you put se- it all together, and then season two was five. 12 minute episodes, if I remember right. Yeah, five 12 minute episodes. Something like that. On the app, it actually, they just run them as the two movies. Uh, which I believe is the way, because um, the, the last I saw on the app, it's just one file under each one, season one or season two. Yes. Yeah. It's everything's all merged into one. Now, yeah, which they had done for the DVDs, I believe. Yes. But when I first created my own DVD, not knowing if they were going to release it, I went back and cut all the commercials out because. Yeah, I had I had a CD I had a CD burner. I was able to record it uh, from Cartoon Network at the time because I, I forgot what show it came on after, but it was it was that gap before the end that played before the start of the next show, and it was played in yeah. lieu of a com- of a normal commercial gap. I think it was like Ben Ten or something that they were running it with. It was one of their action shows. I, I know it was a show that I was watching prior to, um, but I mean it was a great show. Mm-hmm. And the whole micro series concept was brilliant. Yeah. And I believe uh, the rumor was that Lucas was using this as an experiment to see if Star Wars animation was viable. Yeah. Well, and I, I loved how um, they they took this and used the styling for the the three, the, the CGI Clone Wars that we got the seven seasons of that it still carried over some of the same look. Um, and Hey, for anybody that's out there still complaining about the, um, uh, Disney getting rid of the canon of the books and all that, and then moving on. And it's not the first time Lucas did that with clone wars. He threw these right out the window and restarted. Yep. Yep. But Hey, dirge is coming back. He gets his reboot in the new upcoming Marvel comics release into the new cool. canon. So Dirge is back. I, I'll, I'll go for that. That's what we've been saying since the beginning. They they even said that when they wiped out the original canon, they said it's not going anywhere. It's just now that's something we can mine for characters to bring back later if we want and reuse. Right. Right. Which is already done. 
now. Um, from the Pop Insider, uh, our friends over there, Lego turns to the dark side with three new Star Wars sets. Have y'all seen Ooh. these? No. Or heard about them? No. Uh, first up, two new two new additions to the Lego Star Wars helmet collection. Oh, I did see that. Um, um, first up is the 834-piece Darth Vader helmet. Yes. Uh, now, which ones are out now? Uh, there's Fett. The Boba Fett, Stormtrooper, and the TIE Fighter pilot. And I, I still need to get the TIE Fighter pilot, but I have the other two. Now, did they did they also do they, – they haven't done an X-Wing pilot helmet yet, have they? Yeah, nope. Okay. Yeah, I don't think so. In fact, they haven't done any Rebel pilots. Okay. I would love to get Fett. I think Fett would be a cool one. The Fett one's awesome. And I would also love to get this other one I'm about to tell you guys. Uh, it's the 471-piece yes. Scout Trooper helmet. Yes. Oh, nice. Awesome. These things look, I mean, the helmets look great. I mean, Vader looks great. The other, it's just, I think for me, I, I like the biker scout helmet and, and I like fat. Um, I would possibly do TIE fighter. I, want them all. <laughs> I, I would, I would love to consider getting them all, but the other one that I want, which is not a helmet. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. I found the article. It's that the, is cool. The Imperial Probe Droid. Oh, I did see that. Yes, that one's awesome. And, and it's a Lego, so it comes with its own self-destruct. Just knock it off the table. <laughs> <laughs> or have Newman do it for you. Yeah. But that that one looks awesome as well. I really like yes. Awesome. I really like that one. That, cool I, I'm, glad, I'm glad to see that they're doing a second wave of the helmets. Um, because I mean, there's so many, they can do so many cool stuff, helmets in, in the star Wars universe that I would love to see. Okay. So outside so of the, they'll keep going with outside of the five that we have now, uh, either out or coming, what ones would you want to see next? Um, well, like I would, I would definitely like to see, uh, like a a rebel, like a some rebel stuff. Definitely some of the like maybe Luke's X wing helmet, a um, couple other things and, and pose. That way you can have the com- yeah combine yeah that, sure mm-hmm. yeah that'd be cool. Um, I'd love to see like a a, a snow trooper helmet. That would oh. be cool. Um, like a Death Star trooper helmet or something like that. That would be awesome. At that pilot. Uh, at that pilot, yes. That one, if I didn't get any others, that one would be on my purchase list. Which they already have. They already have the TIE Fighter pilot, so it's it, it, it would have some similar pieces. Very similar pieces, just some slight modifications to it. Uh, so they could definitely do that. Shore Trooper helmet wouldn't be too bad. Yes. From Rogue One. Yep. Death, Tro- um, Death Trooper would be cool, too. Death Trooper. Yeah, Scarif Trooper, um, she's just clone troopers. Oh. I mean, come on. Do the do the commanders helmets? Cody, Rex, yes. Wolf, yes, Green, yes. Uh, do those as the it. actual commanders? It would be an interesting one to do. Possibly do um Palpatine with the hood up. So it's not quite a helmet, but it's, that could be interesting. Do his that could be interesting. Yeah. Right, because you don't. You, you could do a whole like, series of Jedi Masters that way too. Yeah, that could be interesting. See, I, I, I'm looking at my Royal Guard, and those would be cool. But I think that those would almost be too big for the for the helmet line because they they extend so far down into the chest. 
But a Sith trooper yeah. wouldn't be. No, a Sith trooper would not. You'd still get the red helmet. Yeah, yeah, and that, well, if you if you go the new new movies, you got the Sith trooper, you got First Order trooper, the First Order Snow trooper, the First Order Flame trooper. Yep, and uh, you know they did both at. Uh, how about you know the Mandalorian? Maybe that yeah. would be cool. How about a Jawa? A Jawa's head. <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting. I could well, see that in the line here with the helmets. It's like once the, they get the helmets going, and people are doing it. Do a line of busts. How close can you get to doing a Luke Skywalker or someone else to actually make it look like? I mean, the, these guys are amazing on with these things. Sometimes, it, how it, it, how close can you get it to look like it. someone's actual face? Yeah. Or at the very least, they could do like a line of of uh, aliens and stuff. Yeah. I could see them doing like a Chewbacca bust or, you know, Greedo. Among Calamari would be cool. Greedo would be awesome. Uh, Walrus Man would be sweet. Ah, yes. Palm Buddha. Um, and then uh, do a giant a giant one that would be the Hammerhead, Momon Nadon. Yeah. Or, or, even, <laughs> or, or even to tie in Galaxy's Edge, Doc Ondar. Yeah, there's some interesting possibilities. Then you get into doing one with the, you can do big green one of Jackson. (laughs) Imagine the ears and Lego. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'll I'll tell you right now, they are fun to put together. They really are. Tell me what else would be cool. Protocol droid heads. (gasps) Yes. C-3PO, uh, mm. a- AP-4, or what was it, AP-5 from mm-hmm. Rebel, yeah, yeah, from Rebels, um, the, uh, K3PO from from Hoth that we see in the base, the white. Or don't, yeah. Or no, don't worry about the heads and just do a line of droids. I mean, we've had plenty mm. of R2D2 C3PO from this, but how about all the rest of the droids that are out there? Uh, they've done. It's maybe a collector series. Well, do like a collector series version with the smooth sides. Well, they they do they do have uh, a set that's got a gonk droid in it. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, we'll expand they, that out. Get some of the Legends droids that we've never actually seen, but we've heard about them in all these things. Or you've only I, seen them in comic books. Actually, uh, let me find a picture. I'm thinking these guys right here. Those are outside Droid Depot. You have an R1, uh, wow. an R5, an R4, uh, a Gonk, and this is a, a loader droid that we had seen in uh, Clone Wars. Okay. And they actually sell an action figure set of these. Oh yeah, really? I want the I want the set. But could you imagine them making these droids tied in with Galaxy's Edge, but out there to the public since they're doing some of that crossover? Mm. This would be cool. This would be actually pretty cool. Yeah, and if they're going to they do an entire series of um, just Galaxy's Edge Lego, the different yeah. locations and things, and you can actually build a Galaxy's Edge out of Lego. Yeah, you could do Ogre's yeah. Cantina. You could do Docking Bay Seven. Uh, you could do the. Dinner. You have the ships that are sitting there, so you had just reissued a new Millennium Falcon, a new X-wing, a new. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah. I have the ISS transport. I just don't get it until May fourth. Yeah. Uh, and that's. I mean, it gives them a chance to put a brand new series of minifigs out too. All the different characters you see in in um. That's Galaxy's what, Edge. That's what's on the ISS transport. It is V Mundy from uh, Galaxy's Edge? Is in it, and it's that's the. One of the ride vehicles from uh, Rise of Resistance. 
So, and I, and I was looking at that, and I'm like, okay, so Lego-wise, if I wanted the ships from Galaxy's Edge, I have the Falcon, but it's the original trilogy. So what? I don't have the, the square radar, or the rectangular radar dish on it. Big whoop. Rise of Skywalker, it's got the, it's back to the circular dish anyway, so cool. Um, But, you know, you got Poe's X-Wing in Rise of Resistance that you see. You have the regular white and blue or gray and blue. You have a red A-Wing. Um, those do are you three walkers sh- from Rise of Resistance? I do not have either one of the two ADATs from Rise of Resistance. But I'm thinking flying vehicles. Yeah. Um, I would I would love to see a TIE Echelon made because at this point in time, I'm missing the two X-Wings and I'm missing the A-Wing. Uh, if they make the TIE Echelon, then that would be the only other thing I would be missing. And then outside of that, the only other thing I think I would want to see made is the D. DJ, DJ Rex crash site with his little escape pod that from of his ship that he he crashed before Mubu rebuilt him to, to become a, a DJ for Oga. So, um, but e- even outside of that, there's still so much more you could do. Um, what about you know some some of the new ships based on High Republic? You know, we've seen sketches. Let's make let's make them reality. I'm sure they're coming. I'm sure they are too. Yeah. Um, Let him get through the first wave of the actual books and comics and novels. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. So um, I'm trying to think if there was anything else. Because we still have some time left. Uh, um, seeing what is StarWars.com. Padme's real last name. Do you guys know it? I saw this headline. I didn't read through the article yet. No clue. It is not Amidala. Yeah, we'll figure that much. Um, no, it's, of course it isn't. It's Skywalker. Well, no, not even now. It is not Barry. Padme not Barry. And she was born to Rui and Jobel Naberi on Naboo 14 years before we meet her in Star Wars The Phantom Menace. So she's 14 when we see her as queen. Yeah. Anakin is only, at this point in time, what? Nine. Four. He's nine. So f- yeah. five years younger? Five years difference? Yeah, that was the big thing when the movie yep. first came out, was that. Yep. So... Uh, apparently, Amidala is, um, it was the name she used during her time as queen. This was to protect her true identity and the identity of her family. Uh, being a young queen only at 14, it was prudent to keep her surname secret for safety concerns. However, this was also a Nabu tradition. This name would live on with her as she closed out her final year as queen and later moved on to become Naboo's senator. Uh, even after death, the name Amidala was one that s- inspired the same tenacity Padme had. Her former handmaidens, security detail, and other others loyal to her in, in life formed a resistance group in her name called the Amidalans. Uh, this was all brought up in Greg Pak's Star Wars Darth Vader, Dark, Hor- Dark Heart of the Sith. Uh, the Amidalans believed that their former queen was murdered, and they pledged to find the one responsible for her death. So, pretty cool twist there. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, StarWars.com has a story talking about all the various uh, variant covers for War of the Bounty Hunters. This is a War of the Bounty Hunters. It's a crossover event, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, I think it is. Because uh, it's Dr. Afford number 12, uh, followed by Bounty Hunters 14 and Star Wars 15. Plus, it has its own, I think it has its own title. Um, so, I'm looking at these covers. These covers are nice. 
Who, who's doing the covers? Kamukoli. Uh, Giuseppe Kamukoli Giuseppe doing these covers. Very cool. Cool. Nice. Um, did you guys know about the U.S. Postal Service releasing for Star Wars Day Star Wars droid stamps? Yeah, I heard about that. I've not got a chance. Yeah. To, I've not looked through them yet, but apparently you can pre-order them now on postalservice.com. Nice. You probably get them all on one sheet, like you can for some of the for a lot of the other ones. Yeah, one sheet, uh, sheet of twenty, eleven dollars. It looks like on here we have IG eleven, R two, K two S O, BB eight, C three PO, a Gonk droid, two one B, L three, Do, and Chopper. Cool, cool. And you get two of each in this. And you can order those right from the post office? Yep. Will be available May 4th. The nice thing is if you order stuff like this from the post office, you just have to pay for the price of the stamps. It's not like you're paying some premium collector's price. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm trying to see if they have a first day cover or first day. Well, when they're available? No, they're available May 4th. Uh, It's a first day of release. It's a, I forgot what they call it. First day cover and uh, Droid's first day cover. It's an envelope with a stamp and then it's, uh, and then each one is canceled. Stamp is canceled with an f- official first day of issue postmark. And that, those are nine ninety. So you'll get the 10, the 10 envelopes with stamps. Uh, envelopes say Star Wars Droids on it. Um, it's a first day cover is what it's called. It's the envelope with the canceled stamp on it. Okay. Which is cool. And it will, this, the cancellation will come from Nicasio, California, which is where it's being officially released first. Interesting. And then there is a Droids digital color postmark. So it's sort of like the uh, first day covers, but they're colored instead of black and white. And these are running $17. I don't know which one I would do. The other ones you can get on um, on the post office website. Where do you get these ones? Uh, these two are also available on uh, on the website, on Postal Service oh, okay. website. Yep. You just look up first day of co- or first day covers? or uh, I just went to search the store and typed in Star Wars. Ah. So I will get the, I would probably, me personally, I would probably get, uh, there it is. I would probably get the, uh, droid set and I would probably get the, uh, the regular first day cover, not the, uh, digital color, not the digital color one, but just the regular black and white. Well, they have different options on which, um, envelope it's on too. Cause they have a, um, envelope that's a chopper envelope also. Uh, not for the that's 17, right? That's the digital. Yeah. And each one, and if you look behind it, each one, the envelope goes with the stamp that you're getting. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know which one I would get. They're like Pokemon. You got to get them all. Got to get them all. <laughs> I have one of the other sets that's just on the one sheet like that. So, it's like, if I did this, I'd probably do something like that. Where yeah. they're just the two sets on a sheet. Yeah, yeah. I probably I probably would as well. But I also um, I like to do the first day covers, and it's just a matter of which one do I really feel like. I, I'm kind of to- I'm I'm kind of leaning towards the original, just the the nine ninety one with the black and white because uh, that's how it would have been back in the day. It would have been one design with the different stamps, and each stamp canceled. Yeah. So, um, I guess. Final final thought I've got. Apparently, uh, Bad Batch is going to be fourteen episodes. Nice is what the discussion is. Mm. So, uh, any final thoughts from you guys? 
Uh, nope, not really. No, nah, I think we covered it all, and it was a great interview today. It was a blast. It was an absolute blast. I, I'm glad uh, we've been able to get two two of the five from uh, the High Republic team. So much fun. And, and, I, and I am digging the High Republic era. Um, I, I am enjoying the books, but I do agree with, with Derek. Uh, Into the Light was, was a little a little bit not what I was expecting for the High Republic. Yeah. Um, I mean, good, good story, but it, it's, it wasn't what I was envisioning. Yeah, it was almost yeah. too much of a um, trying to keep too much secret when you're trying to reveal all this new stuff. Right. All right. Right. Yeah. So, well, on that note, I hate to say it, but I'm going to, it's only one thing left to say. Give the evacuation code signal. All right. Cut the chatter. Jinx. I can hold it. Pull up. No, I'm all right. information vital to the survival of the rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. I lost R2. <laughs> Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. This has been a Weeby Geeks production.